Amen. Well, good morning, Harvest. You can grab a seat. So thankful to be here this morning. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, it's kind of towards the back of your Bible. Oddly enough, it's right after 1 Timothy. And uh, if you see Hebrews, James, you've gone a little bit too far. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. And like I said, I'm grateful, grateful for this opportunity to be here with you this morning and uh, for an opportunity to preach God's word. It truly is an honor and a privilege, and, and this time up here is, is a, a time that I take very, very seriously, realizing that uh, speaking God's word and, and through his spirit, um, it's always a joy to get into God's word with God's people. And this past week, in preparing for this message, uh, it really has just been a sweet, sweet time with the Lord. And uh, trying to search out and seek what would God say to his people this morning. Uh, so my hope and my prayer is that you don't get like 10 of Cody's really good ideas. Uh, because that probably wouldn't be very helpful anyway. Uh, but my hope is that this morning this really is a thus says the Lord opportunity. Straight from his word and by the power of his spirit. Um, it's been really cool over the last six months just being part of Harvest, uh, spending time with the students. And uh, Sunday nights is a time that we get together and, and every time we open up God's word with one another, that's what our night is focused around. And uh, just through that, we've been able to see God's word and God's spirit work in a really powerful way. And even as I'm standing up here right now saying this, I have specific instances, specific students that I'm thinking of where it's been very clear that it's been God's word and God's spirit doing the work. And it's been one of those opportunities where we've just kind of stood back and said, not us, that's all God. And so that's through his word. And uh, that's what we're going for this morning. Well, I want to start by saying congratulations on making it to 2013. Uh, a lot of people said that we wouldn't, so congratulations. Uh, with that being said, it's uh, the start of a new year. We're six days in, and it's, we have this idea of beginning. Uh, it's, it's as if we're at the start line, and there's this air of newness. We have this blank slate mentality of, here we go, everything's new and fresh and pure. And uh, with that, we think about start. But uh, very rarely do we spend this time of the year focusing on the end. It's kind of like 2012 is behind us, now we're starting something new. But this morning, I want to take our focus and I want to turn it to the end. Rather than focusing on the starting line, I want to take a look at the finishing line. Uh, and with that, if, if you really think about it, it's not a foreign concept to us. Think about whenever you start a project. Uh, you start a project and the first thing that you do is you say, okay, what's my goal? What's my purpose? What is the end result? What, what is the end of this look like? What should ultimately happen here? Uh, think about when you buy something, like on the box it says assembly required. And uh, for guys, it's like we get the instructions and we just throw them away because we can look on the front of the box and we can see the finished product. And it's like, I'll figure it out from here. Uh, that's essentially what I want to do this morning without throwing the instructions out, I guess. Uh, but looking at the finished product. And so with that, uh, we're going to look at the end of life for a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, last week, if you remember, we were in Luke chapter 2, and uh, Pastor Doug looked at the lives of Simeon and Anna. These were two people, two servants of the Lord that were waiting. 
They were waiting for God to do something in them and through them. They were waiting for God to do something in their midst. And with that being said, uh, and it was very clear in the way that Pastor Doug helped us understand Simeon and Anna's lives, these weren't people that were just sitting on their hands, so to speak. Uh, They weren't just sitting there twiddling their thumbs saying, okay, God, I'll just sit here and be little old me, Simeon, and wait for you to do something cool. Uh, They were in the midst of serving God. They were in the midst of seeking God. And because of that, when God did show up, they were both ready and prepared for that. And so uh, he kind of ended with this idea of Simeon saying, now I can depart and be with my Lord. Now your servant can depart in peace and And he talked about in the Greek, that idea of departing. uh, It's like sailing off into the sunset, pulling up the anchor and setting loose into the sunset. And uh, and with that, uh, that's where we're going this morning. We're gonna look at Paul's life and the end of Paul's ministry. And so are we in 2 Timothy? Yes, okay. Uh, I wanna give a brief historical context so that we understand exactly where we're jumping in and then we'll jump into the text. In understanding this, it's very, very important to know what exactly is going on. Uh, With any passage in the Bible, even a passage like this that's more teaching in nature, uh, there's a story that's happening. There's a greater story, a bigger context, uh, a set of real life circumstances happening to real people. And so as Paul's writing this, he's a real person and he's writing to another real person, Timothy, and there's stuff that's going on in their world. Uh, This letter was likely written around 64 AD, uh, and for any of you history buffs, you would know that this is one of uh, kind of the height of of the Roman Empire, and with that, uh, the Emperor Nero has ascended the throne, and if you know anything about the Emperor Nero, uh, he was not a very nice guy. As a matter of fact, uh, he was very narcissistic, very self-serving. And with that, he was willing to do anything to advance his name and his cause, even if that meant throwing other people in the doghouse. And uh, what ended up happening is Nero uh, started this great persecution against the Christians. At this time, they're a fairly new religious sect. They're not really liked by the people that are in the Roman Empire. Uh, And so with that, they were kind of the easy target. And so with that... Uh, This was a tumultuous time for Christians. There was gross and heinous torture of God's people, of the people that said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, some were being tortured, many were being imprisoned, and some were even being killed. And so with that, Paul is one of these persecuted Christians. He's one of the guys that is in prison uh, awaiting martyrdom, Paul knows at this point that his end is coming and it's very, very near. And uh, as a citizen of Rome, he understands that his execution will be by beheading. And so here he is in this prison writing to Timothy. That's the setting that we're entering into before we jump into this text. Uh, It's important that we understand that this is most likely Paul's final correspondence with Timothy. And Timothy was like his son in the faith. Uh, the one that he kind of guarded and helped teach all the way up. He had spent many years with Timothy, uh, ministering and advancing the cause of the gospel. And so here are, are Paul's last words to Timothy. And and since these are his last words, uh, it's important that we understand that these words will carry weight. These are going to be very important words, not only 
because Paul is sharing his last thoughts with Timothy before he dies, but also because Paul is writing to Timothy under the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so not only are these going to be weighty words for Timothy, but they're also going to be weighty words for us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what, what Paul has to say to Timothy is just as relative to us right now. Uh, and, and finally, we need to understand this. Uh, Paul's last words that are going to be weighty uh, are going to be an encouragement to Timothy. He believes that by speaking of his end or his finish line, that that's going to actually be an encouragement to Timothy as he's starting out. Because up until this point, Timothy had been with Paul. They had been doing ministry together and now they're kind of separate and Paul knows that he's going on to be with his Lord and Timothy's just beginning to start his whole ministry all by himself. And so Paul wants to give him a view of the end of what his end could look like. Uh, as we get ready to jump into this, would you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you truly are the great I am, that you are present, you're here with us right now. God, I pray that as your word is, is preached, that eyes and hearts would be fixed on you, that we would all grow in our affections towards you. Lord, that you would inspire endurance in our lives and faithfulness. And above all that, that you would be the only one that is exalted and glorified in this time. May your word be lifted high. May your name be lifted high. Pray this in Christ's name for Christ's sake. Amen. Uh, one more thing before we jump into 2 Timothy. Uh, I just want us to have a, a brief understanding of Paul's background. And, and if you've been in church for a while or spent a lot of time in the Bible, then you probably have an idea. So I'm gonna give a very succinct uh, summary, so to speak, of Paul's life. And uh, the first thing we have to understand is that Paul's mission was to bring the gospel to the ends of the known world. And so with that, he was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He had been on at least three missionary journeys where he had gone around uh, planting churches, installing church leadership, and discipling men and women. And, uh, and, and with that, uh, this is kind of Paul in 2 Corinthians, and you don't have to turn there. I just want to read it to you. But Paul's giving a summary of some of the things that it's cost him uh, to complete this ministry. And so he says this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 28. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I was in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You get the idea as Paul is talking about the things that he's endured for the sake of the gospel, that this is a man that's well acquainted with pain. He's a man that's well acquainted with the cost of a gospel ministry, of a life that is sold out for the sake of the gospel. Uh, he understands how taxing 
gospel ministry and living your life for the sake of Jesus Christ can actually be. And yet at the same time, uh, Paul wasn't all, let me just tell you all the things that I've experienced. Uh, Because in the midst of all of that, Paul knew that he was completely free. Uh, If you look through the book of Philippians, it's amazing. But in Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ. It's in essence is that he could look at people and say, hey, let me live and my life's gonna be about Jesus Christ. And then he says, and death is gain. Kill me? Great, thank you. Now I get to spend eternity with my savior. Um, Torture me? Wonderful. Then I get the joy in sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. Uh, Imprison me? Cool. I'll get to share Jesus Christ with all your guards. Uh, No matter what situation Paul was in, he was completely free because his life was marked by the gospel. And everything was about how does this advance the gospel? And so with that, we take a look now at Paul's end. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, remember, Paul's in prison. He's writing to Timothy. These are his last, some of his last words. Uh, and with that, the tone in this passage is Paul is at complete peace. He has a full confidence. There's not even a tinge of fear. Uh, it's as if you could imagine Paul sitting in his prison cell, penning these words with a light smile and overwhelming joy. These last words to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, Uh, we're gonna jump to verse six to start. It says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I wanna look at that for a second. He begins by saying, uh, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering Uh, and understand this idea of drink offering. It's it's also called a libation. And this was initiatory to any sacrifice that would have taken place during this time. And so in effect, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, listen, uh, my death, that process has already begun. I am already being poured out as an offering. And that word offering is important too, because it's not as if Rome is going to take his life from him but he's going to offer it willingly for the ultimate cause of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, the process is in motion. And then he says this, uh, the time of my departure has come. Now this is really cool, okay? Uh, It's that same word depart that we talked about with Simeon where you, you pull up the anchors and set sail into the sunset. And that also has another meaning as well that it carries with it. Uh, It also carries the same idea of the loosening of a prisoner. Now, how cool is that, that Paul is in jail awaiting martyrdom and he's talking about they're getting ready to set me free. Uh, When the blade would remove him from this world, he would enter into eternity with the one that his life had been all about since he met Jesus Christ. How cool is that? Paul has this understanding that this is not the end. This is not execution. Uh, This is really a release. And then with that, he gives us three images. He says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so we have this imagery of a fight, of a race, and this keeping or this enduring. And so you get the idea Paul's saying, look, Timothy, it hasn't been easy. There's been a fight that's been going on. It's been a battle. It's been a struggle. It's been a race and it's cost me a lot. And I've had to endure through all kinds of things. But Timothy... My son, it is possible. As you're starting out, you need to know that it is possible 
to finish his fight or to fight this fight, to finish this race and to endure in this faith. What hope that must have been for Timothy. But here's the thing. Uh, Paul doesn't just leave Timothy in the dark and say, so good luck, go get him, tiger, okay? Uh, He gives Timothy a how-to, a how to remain faithful, how to fight this fight well, how to run well in this race. And he does that just a little bit before, starting in verse one. And so what I wanna do is I wanna read that uh, this, this idea of how to endure, I want to read it and then we'll break it apart. So 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 1. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So let's break this down here for just a second. Uh, the first thing that we need to understand is uh, Paul introduces his first how-to with five intensifiers. And so this first how-to is going to be the main thing. This is going to be the biggest thing that Timothy has to do to endure in his ministry. And so he starts out, let's break down verse one. He says, I charge you if you go back to the original text in the Greek, uh, there's actually a word in there, solemnly. So he's saying, Timothy, I solemnly charge you. That sets the tone. And then he says, uh, in the presence of God. This is not an ordinary charge. This is not a charge that has ordinary seriousness or carries ordinary weight uh, or, or ordinary authority. But because Paul is giving this charge to Timothy in the very presence of God, it carries maximum seriousness, maximum weight, and maximum authority. And he says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. So the Father and the Son have equal concern of that which I'm about to solemnly charge you with, Timothy. This is going to be very important in your ministry. And then he says this. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, Well, what about Christ Jesus? Christ Jesus, the one who is to judge. He could have said thousands of things about the person of Jesus Christ. Paul could have said any number of things, but he realizes that in in the importance of what the charge is about to be, he needs to understand that Jesus Christ is the one who is to judge both the living and the dead. And so with that, Timothy, this charge carries with it the weight of eternal life and eternal death. In the presence of of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge both the living and the dead, and with a view of the appearing of his kingdom. So I'm giving you a charge of the coming king. And then he says it right there at the beginning of verse two. The first how-to is preach the word. There is power in the preached word. Even in a world where we are bombarded with thousands upon thousands of words every day, where we open our phone and we have text messages and Twitter and we have this person and that person talking to us and saying this and that, we're constantly having words thrown at us and yet the charge remains the same. Timothy, preach the word. Even in the midst of severe persecution, even when you're in prison like I am, preach the word. At any time and every time, the word of God is exalted and its authority is acknowledged. Timothy preached the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So my friends, for us, the how to endure. For us, we must value the word. Value the word of God. What happens when when we get around God's word is uh, oftentimes we come to it and we read it and sometimes it's difficult to go through because it's a text that takes place uh, back in the day and there's all these different things that we sometimes struggle to have understanding with. Uh, And so sometimes we read it and we can walk away from it like, I don't really know what that was all about. And you get to the end of your day and it's like, I don't even have any idea what I read this morning. Uh, I know that's happened for me. But my friends, what happens is as we begin to value God's word and we become students of God's word and and we treasure his word, uh, eventually and at some point, there is an explosion of love, an explosion of compassion, an explosion of worship to our God. And God is all the while working that through his spirit and his word in each one of our hearts. And so value the word. And in this context, especially, I think Timothy's talking about valuing the preached word the gathering together, exactly what we're doing right now. Uh, My friends, this time is to be highly valued, not because of me or anyone who's up here with a microphone, but because it's God's word and God's spirit speaking to us. Well, let's continue through because next comes this warning of difficulty. Uh, In 2 Timothy 4, pick up in verse three. So it's preach the word, Timothy. And then he says this, Uh, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. So there's this preach the word, Timothy, and do it at any cost, but let me tell you the opposition that you're up against Uh, people aren't going to endure sound teaching. You're gonna be faithful to preach this word and people aren't gonna wanna listen to you. Uh, They're going to reject the truth. So why won't they endure? Why won't they endure this sound teaching? It says because they have itching ears. Uh, They have something that they want to hear and they will search around and around and around until they find someone that will tell them what they wanna hear. Uh, It's this imagery that Paul's setting up. It's like a dog, Uh, I I know at our house, our dog, whenever we have guests over, she'll go from person to person to person, like just scratch me in the right spot. Nope, you're not getting it. I'm gonna go to somebody else. Uh, It's terribly annoying, but I think the imagery is there, okay? Uh, It's these people that are just like, I have something that I wanna hear. I have something that I want them to say. I want them to justify me in my sin. I want them to say that what I'm doing is okay and that my desires for myself in this world are actually okay, And so with that, they're gonna go about trying to find someone that will justify them and say, yep, you're right on. Uh, It says this then, that they're going to uh, find teachers that will suit their own passions. And so people will begin exalting their passions above God's truth. And my friends, this this has happened before. Uh, You look all throughout the Bible and you see people turning, uh, exalting their passions over what God would have to say in just one example is in Jeremiah chapter 5, 30 and 31. It says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and what? And my people love it. 
My people love the lies. They love it when the prophets justify them in their sin and in their desires. And then he says in verse four, they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into the myths. So what kind of myths? Uh, Well, for instance, let's look today at some of the myths. How about the myth of easy believism? This idea that, oh, I just have to say a prayer and, and then I'm good to go. I have my golden ticket, so don't worry about me. I'm fine. Uh, I've been baptized. It's cool. Don't worry about me. I'm good. Uh, what about the myth of selfism? This Jesus thing is really all about me. And so the reason that I follow Jesus is because there's this promise that things are just going to get better and better and better for me. Uh, as a matter of fact, if I give my life to Jesus, then he becomes my personal little genie, and I can ask him to do anything that I want him to do, and he'll do it. Uh, what about the myth of positive thinking? Uh, all I have to do is just think the right thoughts and stay positive. If only I have enough faith, then God will surely have to do something because it depends on my faith, not on God's promises. Uh, what about the myth of relativism? What's true for you might not be true for me. They're going to reject God's truth and wander off into myths that will justify their lives. And so Timothy, even in the midst of this difficulty, the next how to endure is an encouragement to remain faithful to the word. Timothy, value the word and remain faithful to the word. Even when it's difficult, even when it's costly, when it takes the world as you know it and flips it upside down, remain faithful. And so for us in here in this room this morning, uh, I just wanna say for some of us, this is a reproof kind of time. Uh, this is a, a loving reminder that God values his word and as his children, we ought also to hold it in high regard. Uh, to some of you, this is more of a rebuke. Can I lovingly but firmly say, uh, stop ignoring God's word? You get to Luke six forty six, and Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I tell you to do? And for many of you that are here this morning, uh, this is an exhortation, an encouragement. Keep at it, my friends. Continue to value this word. Continue to remain faithful to this word. Prioritize this time here on Sunday mornings where the word is preached and we gather together to hear what God would have to say to us. Be even more committed than you have been to the listening and the application of God's word. Husbands, Take your wives to the word. Uh, Children, run to the word. Grandparents, take your grandchildren to the word. Single guys and girls, run to the word for answers, not to other self-help books or anything like that. So we have value the word and remain faithful to the word. So why? Why endure? Why is it important that we endure in this this fight or this race that we're in? Uh, I want to say this morning, and I think this is very important, uh, this time right now is not an academic pursuit. We are not here to dispense little nuggets of knowledge that you can tuck away in your information inventory of really cool things that you can say about Jesus to all your church friends. Uh, This isn't about 
us growing just for the sake of having more information. Uh, you've never seen our greeters hand out pop quizzes as to what anybody said the week before, and they won't do that, I promise. I think, okay? Uh, and, and, and even the time that we spend outside of Sundays, husbands with your wives and fathers with your children and families together, uh, that's not about checking a box off. It's not about attaining to some level of theological scholarship. But our valuing and our remaining faithful to the word is two things. Uh, it's relational and it's preparatory. The word introduces us to God. It sweeps us into a relationship with God. It carries us into deeper depths in our relationship with God. And not only that, but it aids us in introducing other people to God. And with that, it helps us to be prepared for spending eternity with God. John 17, three says, now this is eternal life, that they would know God the Father and the one that he sent. My friends, eternal life starts now as we begin to know God through his word. And so we come back to the end of Paul's life. This is a man already prepared to pour out his life for the sake of this word, for the sake of the gospel. With complete joy and confidence, uh, he sits in his prison cell writing these words to Timothy because he knows his reward is certain. Paul knows that his reward is certain. And what exactly is that reward? What is the reward for those who spend their lives knowing and loving God? What does the end look like? What is the picture on the box, so to speak, for the person that has lived a faithful life and had a faithful ministry? And it's clearly seen in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Because I have fought the good fight, because I have finished the race, because I have kept the faith, because I have valued this word and remained faithful to the word, even in the midst of harsh treatment, even in difficult conditions, even when they tried to kill me, Timothy, but because I have remained faithful, the righteous judge himself, Jesus Christ, will award to me the crown of righteousness. There is no defeat for Paul. Even in his death, he is going to receive a victor's crown and the Lord himself will be the one that will be awarding it to him. Uh, but my friends in here this morning, this isn't an encouragement to us because surely this is only for men of Paul's spiritual caliber, uh, men that have stared in the face of death many times for the sake of Christ. Uh, he's the one that's worthy to get this crown of righteousness. Surely it couldn't be any of us in this room. Uh, most of us haven't had to do the same things that Paul's had to do. So how is this an encouragement for us? Uh, we read a little bit further. He says, this crown is laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This same reward is for all of those who have loved his appearing. 
It doesn't say to those who've preached in front of millions of people. It doesn't say to those who have a great story to tell about their heroics in the faith. It doesn't even say to those who believe in the gospel or have faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. Those things, belief and repentance and putting faith in Jesus Christ are all inerrant in loving his appearing. You do not long for someone to appear unless you know that person, unless you love that person's presence. Uh, You don't desire to spend time with them unless you know them. And so the question isn't, have you prayed some sort of prayer? The question isn't, uh, do you agree with this list of facts about Jesus? The question really is, do you treasure Jesus Christ? Do you love and desire relationship with him above everything else? Uh, Think about your children parents or, or children, kids, think about this. Uh, think about when dad would come home from work or something like that. Dad, you know that feeling? I don't, because um, I don't have kids, but that's okay. Uh, but that feeling when, when, when kids would run up to you, when you come in the door from work, uh, I can just imagine as a father, that's one of the most exciting things uh, for your family to run up to you, to love your appearing when you come home. Uh, moms, wives, when you come home from, from work or from the store or wherever you may have been, uh, your children run to you and they're excited for you to come in the door. They love your appearing. Uh, they don't do the same thing for strangers. As a matter of fact, they usually like try and hide behind a leg or something. Uh, they love the appearing of their mom or dad because they know them and they've had intimate relationship with them. First uh, John 2.28 says, And now little children abide in him, Jesus Christ, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. My friends, all people are gonna be in one of two places. Uh, we're either going to love his appearing or we're gonna be ashamed of his appearing. Uh, Take that same illustration of kids waiting on their parents, uh, but this time think about two different kids. One of them has straight A's and he comes in the door and tells mom he's excited to show the report card and mom says, oh son, wait till your dad gets home. Uh, The other one comes home with a little yellow slip that says that he was terribly disobedient at school today and mom says, son, go up to your room and wait till your father gets home. Uh, they're going to be waiting in two very, very different ways. And uh, the one is going to love when his father comes home and he'll greet him at the door with report card in hand saying, look, dad. Uh, The other one will be terribly ashamed of his father's appearing. Eyes to the floor, tears, hoping that dad won't come home for some reason that night. Uh, Because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ has traded all of his righteousness for all of my sin and all of my shame, because that is the good news, and not only for myself, but everyone who has believed in Jesus Christ and treasures him above all else, because of that, we can be just as the son with the straight A's because we, in God's eyes, through the blood of Jesus Christ, have that same perfection. And so we wait for him, we long for his return because we know that it's only gonna be joy and excitement when he returns.
uh, in Jude 24, 25, it says he is able to make a stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. Can you imagine uh, reflecting on your lives, the things that you've done, and yet because of Jesus Christ, we can stand in God's presence, blameless and with great joy. Uh, we learn to love his appearing by knowing him more. We come to know him more by valuing his word, remaining faithful to his word. And so as we begin a new year, that's the end that I want us to fix our minds and our hearts on. Uh, The idea that Jesus Christ, the man who was God, the guy that was savagely murdered on a cross 2,000 years ago, is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. He was dead but now he lives. He arose from the dead, demonstrating that there is no power, not even death, that can stand in his way. He is the almighty God and perfect in his power. And so today, right now, even as we sit right here, right now, Jesus Christ is alive. He is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for his people. And that same Jesus, who's alive right now, who promised that he would be crucified and rise from the dead in three days, he made another promise. He promised that he would come back to this earth again. Jesus is alive and Jesus is returning. He made good on his promise to rise from the dead and he will make good on his promise to return. And that is our hope. So we live our todays in light of that end. Just as Simeon, just as Paul just as Anna, we're waiting for the appearing of the coming king, so we wait today for the appearing of our coming king. My friends, this valuing of the word, this remaining faithful to the word is worth it. On that day, it will be worth it. All that you've sacrificed, all that you've given, what you receive in return will be far greater. We deepen our relationship with him through his word, We value his word. We commit ourselves to the preaching of his word. We remain faithful to the listening and the application of his word so that when he returns, we will not be ashamed, but we will love his appearing. Pray with me. God, your word brings so much hope, so much joy, and just to think as your children we wait in eager anticipation for you to come back. God, your promise is that you're returning and and all of our life is about waiting for your return and coming to know you more so that when you do return, we'll be ready for you. And so Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that they would remain faithful to your word, that they would value your word, that husbands would value the word with their wives and children, fathers, and Lord, that uh, above all else, we wouldn't just want to get more information, but we would really want to seek you and know you. Jesus, you are alive. You conquered death. And because of that, we do not have to live with sin and shame and guilt and so we say with hearts full of joy come Lord Jesus and until you do may our lives be about preparing ourselves and others for that day when you come because we know God 
We know, Lord Jesus, that you are coming. Haste the day. In Christ's name.